I love you guys. This is one of our favorite churches in the network, and um, I consider Pastor Matt and Pastor Katie some of my best friends. So, uh, Matt, it's really an honor to get to be in your pulpit, get to be here with you guys. It really is. Um, how many of you are here this morning? Raise your hand. <laughs> a few of in the back hadn't showed back up again, but you'll get here in just a second, okay? I travel a lot, and so we have about 150 churches from uh, Alaska to Florida, New York to L.A., and I don't get a chance to say this very often, unfortunately, but you here at Life Church X, you guys have very healthy leadership. You do. So now the challenge is what are we going to do to keep them that way? Amen. How are we going to keep them healthy? And I'm not talking about just Pastor Matt and Pastor Katie. Pastor Guy and you guys have a great team here. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, would you commit to speaking only words that edify, only words that build up and encourage? Would you, when God puts them on your heart, would you stop and lift them up and pray for them? If you would, signify by saying amen. Amen. Okay, God heard you. You got to do it now. All right. Um, I'll I'll tell you guys this real quick. It it was hilarious because I do travel a lot, so I'm on a lot of airplanes. You guys ever got on one of those little airplanes, just little bitty prop jobs? You ever been on one of those? It's scary. I mean, you know, when the, when the pilot announces, you know, we're, we're, we're starting our descent for landing, he could just turn around and yell at you, right? Hey, we're going down here. It's that small. But you don't, you don't get on a jetway on those things. You, you walk up and you kind of climb up on a ladder, right? So we're going to this plane, and there's a guy there when you're getting on the plane, and he's writing something down on a clipboard. I don't know what he's doing, but I finally get close enough, and there's a lady in front of me, and he's asking her a question. So he says, ma'am, um, how much do you weigh? Now, guys, if you don't know, let me help you. You don't ask that, all right? So she says, why do you want to know? And he says, well, we need to know how much fuel to put in the plane, you know, the weight and balance thing. And she goes, how much fuel? Well, fill it up. I don't care how much I weigh. Just fill the plane up completely. And so I'm back here listening to all this. And so he says, no, ma'am, it doesn't work that way. We need to know how much weight we have on the plane so we know how much fuel we can put in it. She went, well, I weigh 150 pounds. And he writes it down. Now, I'm not trying to be ugly, (laughs) but I'm behind her, and that poor soul hadn't seen 150 pounds in a long time. I mean, a really long time. And so now it's my turn, and he says, sir, how much do you weigh? i got to tell him I weigh 350 pounds (laughs) to make up for her 150-pound lie, right? I mean, I'm going to die because somebody didn't want somebody to know how much they weighed. But so are the the joys of traveling. Uh, I was a Dallas police officer before I became a senior pastor. Uh, I got to do that for 15 years. As a senior pastor, that was one of those difficult... Um, heart-wrenching, heartbreaking, rewarding jobs that I've ever had. In the Dallas Police Department, I've been shot at, beat up, spit on, cussed out, run over, and stabbed. But I never really got hurt till I got in the ministry. Can I get an amen, Matt? There you go. So please lift them up. You guys have amazing leadership here, and be thankful for them, and protect them in the spirit, love on them. It is worthy investment for you guys to be able to do that. Um, what else? My, my, my girlfriend, we've been dating now for 37 years. I think it's going to work out. 
Uh, we're celebrating our 37th, yeah, 37th year in this December. Um, she's got me on a year-to-year contract, guys, so pray for me. But we got our first grandson. Yeah. And uh, my goodness, that's, that's just amazing. If I'd known it was going to be that fun, I'd have them first. Amen? <laughs> but having, having a grandchild, it reminds me of when we were all, you know, we were growing up. How my grandparents and how my parents treated us and how I treated my kids. With you and I talking about nursery rhymes, some of the things we used to say to our kids. I mean, this is crazy. You know, rock a baby in a treetop. Why would you put a baby in the top of a tree? I have no idea. When the wind blows, now we got a baby on top of a tree in a windstorm, the cradle will rock. And then when the bow breaks, now the baby's free falling through the air. And down will come baby cradle. And... Good night, sweetheart. Are you kidding me? <laughs> now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, no, wait, Daddy, is there a chance I'm going to die tonight? We, we say these things over our kids. No wonder they're all messed up. There once was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. So she fed them broth, and she fed them bread, and then she just whipped them real good and put them to bed. They didn't do anything wrong. But my favorite was Humpty Dumpty. Yeah, Mr. Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall because he was sitting real high up on his perch. And then all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. Isn't that what we always do? We go to all the king's horses and we go to all the king's men. But the only one that could really put Humpty back together was not the king's horses, was not the king's men, it was the king himself. So instead of going to all the things the world says is good for us, why don't we go to the king? I'm going to talk to you this morning about two kings real quick, and we're going to get into Psalm chapter 23. All of you know that scripture, but if you'll open up your hearts for me, I think I can give you something that maybe you've never seen in that scripture. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this moment. God, I thank you for the hearts and the souls that are here right now, Lord. God, I just give you myself as your mouthpiece. Lord, anything that I say that it's of you, would you fall upon, let it fall upon teachable and pliable hearts. Anything that I say that's not of you, Lord, just let it fall by the wayside. Forgive my sins, for they are many, Lord. But I come to you now and ask that you would bless our time. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm still getting a little bit of a ring, guys. I don't know if y'all can hear that, but uh, they'll get it fixed, I'm sure. Psalm 23. Okay, we know that the Psalms are songs, S-O-N-G-S, right? And so a song was not ever written to be read. It was written to be sung or heard. And so if you, if you think about the music that you like and think about an artist, you know, a songwriter, a really good songwriter can paint a big picture with just a few words, amen? You're listening to the song and you can just see what they're singing about. So David is writing a song here, Psalm 23. We've messed it up a lot, us as pastors. We've used it at at funerals and different things. That's not what it is. Psalm 23 is a song that David wrote about his entire journey with Jesus, about his entire journey with God up until this point when he wrote it. it. It's a journey. And he's given us insight to what God has done in his life. And so he's taking us on this journey in this song that many of us will find ourselves in his journey. 
Because how many of you know this life with God is a journey? We're constantly moving closer and closer and closer to him, knowing that we will never arrive this side of heaven. So the language that David is using is talking about his life with the Lord. So he starts off with language that he would have used when he was a shepherd boy. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, Pastor Matt, we can preach on that right there for a year. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I shall not want. In other words, he's, he's the great shepherd. He's the one that leads me. He's the one that guides me. He's the one that provides for me. He's the one that cares for me. He's the one that sings over me. He's the one that gives me anything and everything that I need. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. But then there are times <laughs> when he makes me to lie down. You ever been there? When God stops everything in your life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me at times to lie down. I'm a very busy guy. I love to be going. I love to be moving. I got places to see, people to meet, things to do. And God comes into your life and goes, nope, not now. <laughs> Puts you on your back. It may be a loss of a job. It may be something that happens. But God has a unique and tremendous desire for us to learn what it means to be still and know that he's God and we're not. So there are times in our lives, maybe early on, maybe later on, when he makes us to lie down. And it's only when we finally decide, okay, we'll do it, that we discover it's green pastures. We, we don't want to do it, but as soon as you do, it's like lying down in a field of clover. You finally lay down and you're like, oh, man, I didn't realize how bad I needed this. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he makes me to lie down in green pastures and about the time you're there and you're enjoying he says okay get up he leads me then in other words he's leading me somewhere now he leads me beside what still waters he's taking me to a place where i can learn to be still he's taking me to a place where i can enjoy what's around me he's taking me to a place where it's just he and i for a little while so that i can discover who he can really be in my life he leads me beside still waters, but there's a purpose in him leading me beside still waters so that he can restore my soul. You think David ever need restoring? The things that he went through in his life, the sin that was there, the challenges that were there, the people that rejected him, hated him. I mean, he needed restoration. And listen to me, guys. Some of you walked into this room this morning and some of you are going through possibly one of the most difficult times in your life right now. And the people around you don't even know. But the one that can restore, he knows. And he's saying to you this morning, would you let me? Would you let me come in? Would you let me restore that broken heart? Would you let me restore that relationship? Would you let me restore what the enemy stole from you? The Lord is my shepherd. Oh, I shall not want... There are times when he made me to lie down in green pastures, but then he led me beside still waters for a purpose. He restored my soul. And after restoration, after God does this work in my life, then he says, okay, get out of the waters. It's time to move again. And then he begins to lead me. This is very interesting now, church. Come on now. If you are asleep, wake up for this one. Then he leads me down a path of righteousness 
For who? For his namesake. Hmm. This is the moment in our lives. This is the moment in your life where you decide, am I going to go down this path because it doesn't really look like it's about me any longer? This is the moment where, where, where Paul said, I'm dying. This is where I have died. I no longer live, but Christ who lives in me in the life that I now live, going down this road is all about him. I must decrease so that he can increase. There's a moment in our lives, guys, when we make a decision. Am I going to live for me or am I going to live for him? You get saved. Exciting times. You love Jesus. You begin to mature in your relationship with him. And then you make a decision. You know what, God? I want you in the center of everything I do. I want you in the center of my family. I want you in the center of my finances. I want you in the center of my job. I want you in the center of my house. I want you in the center of everything I do. Amen? It's a trick. Because then there's a next step where he says, you know what? Forget all that. Just take me and put me in the center of your life. He leads me down this path of righteousness, but it's all about him. It's not about me any longer. So David begins to look at this thing, and it's different. Because when you start taking this path, it is a step of faith because you don't see it. It's not anything you're familiar with in your life. Would you take this step to say, God, from this point on, I'm giving my life to you for you to use as you see fit. That's scary. Because come on, guys, we're a little selfish people. You don't think you are, but take a group photo. <laughs> and then they show you the photo. Who do you look for first? Come on. And if you don't look good, guess what? The whole picture's bad. We've got to take it all over again, right? We're selfish people. But David's saying there was a point in my life when I said, no longer is it about me. From this point on, God, I don't know what's going to happen up here. I don't know what's going to happen, but I am making a decision right now that my life is going to be lived for your name and not mine. And then all of a sudden, he starts using language like Paul used. Though I walk down this valley of death, down this valley, through the valley of the shadow of death, he's talking about there's a death going on inside of me so that there's a life that can begin to live inside of me. And by the way, you can't have a shadow without light. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will no feel no evil for what? <laughs> oh, I pray you get this. Oh, the Lord is my shepherd. He's talking about God. Is he not? I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down a path of righteousness for his name's sake. He's been talking about God. But the moment he makes that decision to go down there, he stops talking about God. And from this point on, he's talking to God. I'm not talking about him any longer. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You are with me. I'm going to focus on you, and I'm going to be found talking more to you than I am talking about you. God, let us be found there. I don't understand the path, but I see you. I see your rod that you count me with. I see your staff that you can rescue me with. And as long as I've got my eyes fixed on you, I will fear no evil because I know you're with me. So let's go. My life is all about you from this point on. And David starts down a new journey in his life. 
God's calling every one of us, including me, to take another step. What is it that would stop me from taking that step? Maybe it's the fear of the unknown. But David finally takes it. It's what he's telling us in this song. And he starts walking with God. And he's going, from this point on, it's all about you, God. In the middle of this journey, when David makes a decision that it's all about God, God stops the journey and says, let's have dinner. And he prepares a table. What does David say? For whom? He says, and then God prepared a table for me. For me in the presence of my enemies. That's the best part about it. All those people that say you're not worthy, you're no good, and they're back there and God says, let's just stop everything. Because I want to tell you something, David. The moment that you decided that your life was going to be lived for me is the moment you discovered that my life is all about you. Oh, I hope you're getting that. So God stops everything and he puts out this table and he says, David, this is all for you. Everything on it is all about you. And it's like I, I come and I look at that table that God prepares for me. And I'm looking and there's like, and there's Kelly's bread pudding right there. I mean, there's some queso sitting right there. There's some guacamole sitting right there. There's some, everything that I would ever want in life is on this table. Amen. I'm getting hungry already. And so you're looking out, but then you look a little closer and there's this big bowl of forgiveness. There, there's a big bowl of mercy of love and of acceptance. And oh man, do I need that. All laid out for me in the presence of the people that told me I'm not worthy. And then the king himself gets up from the head of the table and he walks over and he takes your chair and he pulls it out. He says, come, sit and partake. This is your table. You're part of my family. Come and sit. The moment of decision. Because you have to go sit. And all of your enemies are reminding you. You're not supposed to be sitting there. You're not worthy to be at that table. You don't know what's going to happen when you sit there. And so you stay there and you go, I, I want to be there, but I know that I don't belong. My, my kids years ago, they came running into the house and there was a dog out in front of our front yard. This is the ugliest, mangiest, nastiest dog that you could conjure up in your brain. And it was raining, just to put a little bit more on it. And they said, Daddy, Daddy, there's a, there's a stray dog out front. You know, he's really needing our help. Well, what's the next phrase that they said? Can we keep him? <laughs> I look outside and I'm like, oh my goodness. And so it's very skittish. And so I, I'm, I'm thinking there's no way I'm keeping that dog in my house. But kids, if you can get him in the house, we'll clean him up a little bit and we'll try to find out who the dog belongs to. So they start taking meat and throwing it out in the yard and this dog would run and get a piece and then take off running. So then they would put it on the sidewalk. He would come get a piece and take off running. It's just so funny because he's so skittish, you know? And then they started throwing it up on the sidewalk and he would come up real slow, look around and just attack it, grab it and run. Then they put a piece right in the, in the foyer of my house. And he would come up to the porch and he would look around. He would look inside. He didn't know what was inside. But he knew what was out here, right? He knew that when it rained, he could go over here and get out of the rain. Or when, when some kind of uh, danger came, he could get over here and get out of danger. But he didn't know that once he crossed that threshold, he was probably going to be sleeping with one of my kids and have a bath and the best day of his life. But, but he just kept coming up and looking in and, and backing up. 
he never came in. I wonder how many of us, we never come sit at the table because we're not sure what it takes, what it'll cost me. The table's laid out there. It's, it's for you. And by the way, it's free, but it didn't come cheap. You ever, you ever paid for somebody's dinner and they didn't eat it? Isn't it kind of insulting? Or you make dinner for someone and then they don't eat it at all. Isn't that a little bit insulting? My wife and I, we've been married for one year, I think now, and in, in this time, and I must have done something really bad because I, I needed to take her to a really nice restaurant. That's how it works, guys. Depending on how bad your, your sin is, is the, the restaurant, okay? And the flowers and the cookies and the chocolate. But this was like the nicest restaurant around. I'm like, okay, I've messed up. I'm not really sure what I did, but I know I did something. Amen, guys? <laughs> and so I said, honey, let's go to this best, highest restaurant, steak place in town. So we go in. It's nice. And the, the, the waiter, the, the receptionist comes and she seats us there. And, and the waiter comes and hands us our, our menus. And, man, we're dressed really nice. Everybody in the restaurant's dressed nice. And I open up the menu and I went, <laughs> there's no way I can afford this. I mean, I'm looking, and so I close the menu, and I said, honey, you like the restaurant? She said, oh, this is amazing. I love it. I said, well, good, because we're going to have salad and water. It's going to be good, though, I promise you. We're going to have salad and water. And so the waiter comes back, and I say, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have some water, and go ahead and put some ice in it. Get fancy. That's fine. We're, we're going we're to splurge. And then bring us some good salad. You know, I mean, some really good salads. And then go away. And he goes away, and he comes back, and he goes, oh, I forgot to tell you, your dinner has been paid for. And then he walks away. So what would you do? I said, bring me back that menu. I want to see that menu one more time, because if it's paid for, I want everything that was paid for. There's a table that's laid out for you, and it's free to you, but it didn't come cheap. Because on the appointed day, God the Father gave the nod to His Son, Jesus Christ. He got up off His heavenly throne. He took off His kingly robe. He entered this world through the birth canal of a virgin into the calloused hands of a carpenter where we lived out His life about His Father's business in the shadows of the carpenter's shed. Amen? But then that appointed time when God gave him the nod, he stepped out of the shadows into the sunlight to be the sun and the light of the world. And he took on your sin, he took on my sin, past, present, and future, so that you can come to the table. He gave it all. But that's not the end of the story. He died for our sins. We remembered that in communion this morning. But then on the third day, the stone was rolled away and He stepped out of the tomb and He overcame our sins so we don't have to live there any longer. Amen? He overcame sin. He overcame death. He overcame depression. He overcame despair. He overcame addiction. He overcame hurts. He overcame wounds. He overcame anything and everything that you would ever face today. It has been overcome when His lifeless body got up and stepped out of the grave for you and me. And now, now he's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you. He sent his ministry, the continuation of his ministry, in the form of his spirit. And he's up there praying for you, going, come on, make the decision. Come sit 
at the table. I died for you to sit there. You can trust me with your life. You can trust me with that problem. You can trust me with that hurt. You can trust me with that wound. But we look in our, we get caught up in our own brains and we start thinking about what, what's it going to look like if I do that? What is it going to look like if I start going down a path and I don't recognize there's nothing there about me? I don't understand. Do you, do you have a, any inkling of an understanding how much you are loved? I'm not sure I do. I, I just get like waves and waves of a revelation of how much God loves me. And I made a decision that I want to spend the rest of my life trying to discover how much God loves me. That would be a life worth living. He has things for us. Isaiah says he doesn't think the way we think. He, 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 doesn't, he sees things much more than we see. He's got things for each and every one of you here. I'm, I'm pausing for dramatic effect. <laughs> he has things for some of you that you think your life is over. You think, I've done everything I was going to do. I'm just going to have to live this out. And God brought this Texas boy here this morning to tell you that is a lie from the pit of hell. The latter rain will be better than the former. You don't have any idea what God has for you. I love playing golf. We got to play some golf uh, yesterday. And uh, I'm not good at it, but I love playing it. Front nine, I think I was three over. Was that right, guy? I hit one over a house. I hit one over a road. And then hit one over a horse. I don't know where he came from. But years ago, Arnold Palmer great golfer was asked if he would go to uh, play golf with the king in Saudi Arabia and he accepted so the king sends him his jet they, they fly Mr. Palmer up to Saudi Arabia and he plays golf does a you know an exhibition tournament with him for like three days and at the end the king says thank you so much for doing this you know my, my, my staff my people are so grateful I want to say thank you I want to get you a gift and Mr. Palmer says, you don't have to do that. No, this was, this was a blessing. The king says, no, I, I insist. No, really, sir, you have treated me like royalty. You flew me over here in your private jet. I don't, I don't really need anything. I'm good. He says, no, I, I need to be able to give you a gift. And Mr. Palmer kind of acquiesces into it and says, okay, uh, give me a golf club. The king says, done. He gets on the jet. The king flies him home. And now, I want you to think with me for just a second. If the king of Saudi Arabia was going to get you a golf club, what would it look like? Think. What would a golf club from a king look like? I mean, it's probably gonna, the, the shaft is probably going to be gold at the very least, right? I mean, come on. And, and it may have my, my name like etched in gold. I mean, dream. Just dream with me for a minute. What would it look like? Maybe the head of it would have the king's signia on it, right? Come on. It's, gonna be, it's not going to be something you put in your golf bag. You're going to hang it over your fireplace if your wife will let you, right? And so four weeks go by, nothing in the mail. Six weeks, he gets nothing. So Mr. Palmer starts thinking, well, maybe he forgot. It, it happens, so I'm not going to worry about it. Eight weeks later... He gets a certified letter in the mail from the king. He opens it up, and it is a deed of ownership to a golf club. 
18 holes, pro shop, swimming pool, tennis courts. Because listen, kings don't think the way we think. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly, far beyond what you could ever ask or think according to Him that we allow Him to flow through us. God has great things for you. I'm imploring you this morning, come take your seats. David gives us some insight that he does finally come and he sits down. And then he says as he's sitting there, you know, it's, it's like I, I'm, I'm looking around at this table and I go, okay, Man, I need to be loved. I'm going to take a little bit of love. Boy, I need mercy and forgiveness. I'm going to take a little bit of that. Acceptance, golly, I need some of that. Then I look over and it was like, I see the bowl, it was almost like nothing came out of it. So I'm going to take a whole bunch of it. I need to know God loves me. God, I need to know that you accept me. I'm going to take a whole bunch. Of, I'm going to take a heaping load of mercy. Your mercies I need every morning. And forgiveness, God, I'm an idiot. I need lots of forgiveness. And I just pour it on my plate and I look at the bowls and it's like nothing ever came out. Because God will never run out of who he is. He will never get tired of loving you. He will never get tired of forgiving you. He will never get tired of giving you mercy. He will never get tired of telling you, no, you are accepted. Come sit at the table. So now we see David sitting at the table with all of this going on. And remember, all the enemies are back here. And now David is partaking of the table. And then the king gets up from the head of the table and he walks over in the presence of my enemies. And he puts his hands on my shoulders and he says, I want to make an announcement right now in the middle of this dinner. This is my beloved son. I love him in the presence of my enemies. David says when he does that, he anoints my head with oil. And my cup just overflows. I don't know why you love me, God. I don't, I don't deserve to be here, but I am. And so the only conclusion that I can come to sitting here is that surely, surely, goodness and mercy, are going to follow me all the days of my life. So I think I'm just going to make a declaration that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever oh to think that in the very beginning he had to make me to lie down <laughs> right what a song what a picture where are you in that journey what are you carrying right now you know, I've gone through so many things in my life at 60 years old. I'm thinking of how many times God carried me through things that I couldn't even walk through, but he carried me. There's other times where he led me through things. There were times where the mountain looked so big that darkness was all around me. It blocked the shadow of his, his son, but he carried me through it. You know, when the Israelites were about to take the promised land, they sent spies out there and some of the spies came back and said, we can't do it. There's giants in the land, and we are like grasshoppers to them. You know the story. So they didn't lose the fight because there were giants in the land. They lost the fight because of the grasshoppers in their hearts. Maybe you need a bigger God. 
Is God big enough to handle your problems? Now we all say yes, but we really don't even know what we're saying. I'm, I'm wrapping this up a little bit, but my, my son, he's a very interesting individual. He's a genius, registered in college, genius. And so he loves science, mathematics, and everything. And Several years ago, he and I were watching a documentary on uh, how big the universe is, and they said they had found stars that were 300 million light years away. And so, you know, my country self, I'm just sitting there and I go, man, I wonder how far that is. And my scientific son says, well, Dad, light travels at 186,000 miles a second. There's 32 million seconds in one year. So you multiply 186,000 by 32 million, you get 5.88 trillion. So then you just have to multiply 5.88 trillion by 300 million, and there it is. I said, son, it was rhetorical. I didn't, I didn't, want, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want the answer. And he laughed. He says, Dad, let me put it to you this way, which is his way of saying, let me dumb it down for you. Let me put it to you this way, Dad. The fastest vehicle we have known to man is the space shuttle. It travels 25,000 miles per hour. Okay? If you get it up to top speed and you point it at those stars at 20, 25,000 miles per hour, in 6,000 years, it will not be a quarter of the way there. Is God big enough to handle your problem? I believe he's big enough, David. I'm just not sure he's going to do it for me. Come on, be honest with yourself. That's where a lot of us are. Oh, he'd do it for Pastor Matt, you know, Pastor Katie, Pastor Guy. These guys are holier than thou. He'll, he'll show up for them, and they're not really that holy. I know him pretty much. But he'll, he'll show up for them. But he has a right not to show up for me because, come on, I, I know me. I know my sins. I know my thoughts. Are you with me? We live there. We default to there. Fear is the belief that something's about to happen. Do you agree? I'm afraid that... So fear is the belief that something's about to happen. Amen? Faith is the belief that something's about to happen. Right? The only difference is the object of your belief. But God, I always default to fear. Why is it that I just, I always, I'm afraid that this is going to happen? And that's what he told me. He said, David, you don't think you're good enough for me to show up for. I said, well, you got that right. I, I know who I am. I, I know my past. I know what I'm capable of. I see. So David, what you're telling me is that what I did on the cross wasn't good enough for you. It was good enough for Pastor Guy and Pastor Matt and Pastor Katie, but because who you are, you need to be punished a little bit more than I punished my son. Did I get you? No, God, I would never say that. Then I want you to understand that the last words on the cross were the final words. It is finished. It's not that he has shown up or he's going to show up. It's that he already has. And he's waiting for you to turn your heart back to him.
He's waiting for you to say, I know I don't deserve this place, but I have a right to be here because of the blood of Jesus Christ. It's because I'm going down a path of righteousness, but it's not about my righteousness. It's about your righteousness. And because of your righteousness, not mine, I have a right to sit at the table regardless of what my enemies say. I have a right to come boldly into the throne room of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the God of Gods because of what you've done, God, not because of what I've done. And for me not to take my seat would be just slapping you in the face and saying you didn't do enough for me. Lord, help us. Would you come sit? Would you come trusting? Would you partake just one more time of the forgiveness, of the love, the mercy, the grace? The acceptance. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. When we make that decision to turn and say, Lord, it's all about you. He'll do amazing things on your behalf. I'll finish with this. Any of you guys, uh, I'm, I'm dating myself, I know, but how many of you know the Promise Keepers movement? Y'all remember that? A lot of you. Okay, good. One of the last meetings they had was in Washington, D.C. They said at this, this particular meeting, there was 1.2 million men that showed up for this meeting in Washington. 1.2 million, that's a lot of people, that showed up for the last Promise Keepers. There was a group of people that were from Chicago, and they were coming to the, the meeting, this, this group of guys from their church, and they said, we don't want to just go to the meeting. We want to be used of God while we're there. Washington, D.C. has one of the biggest homeless populations there is. And so they said, maybe we could minister to some homeless while we're there. So they come. They show up. First day, they're going to the first meeting, and they're walking down the street, and they see a homeless guy sitting up against a building. So they walk over to him, and they said, sir, we're going to go to this meeting here, and we would love for you to come and go with us. If you would, we'll get you some food. We'll, we'll get you some clothes. We'll get you a place to, to stay. Homeless guy says, I'm in. He comes to the meeting with them. They present the gospel the first night, and the man raises his hand, and he gets saved. Now, that's a pretty good story. But see, once you have that touch, there's something in you that says, I want to get closer. And he, after he gets saved, he immediately turns around to the guys from Chicago, and he says, I want to go home. Where do you live? He says, man, it's, it's a real small town right outside of Mobile, Alabama. You've never heard of it before. It's real small, but that's kind of where I'm from. Maybe 1.2 million men here, maybe we could find somebody from, Chicago, or from Alabama here. I, mean, I don't know how you're going to do it in 1.2 million men, but God's a big, right? Next break, they're going down the corridor towards the bathroom, and there's a group of guys, no joke, walking towards them, and they have shirts on that say, we're from Alabama. Wow. 1.2 million men. So they walk up to him, they go, hey, guys, are y'all from Alabama? They look at their shirts, yeah, we're from Alabama. That's where we, yeah. Our friend is here, and he just got saved, and he wants to go home, and he's from Alabama. They said, well, sir, where do you live? And he says, well, it's just a real small, small, small town outside of Mobile. And he tells them the name of the town. They were in shock. <laughs> they said, sir, that's the town that we're from. 1.2 million men. 
But then one of the guys stopped and said, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What did you say your name was? And he tells him his name and he says, sir, your son is with us. And he's been praying that he would find you here. million people cannot stop God from moving on your behalf when you turn and you give your heart to him. In Jesus' name.